Shaking everybody, you're listening to another special bonus episode of Improv Tabletop, the show that is usually the Fate RPG actual play where we make up everything on the spot. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host and GM, and today I'm joined by McKenna Steele, clear as crystal water. Thomas Brower, muddy as the bank. Evan Peterson, man, and I just like see clearer than all of you. Wait, what is your vision? It's like 30-30, bro. Man, I'm negative one. Well, hopefully your vision will improve for your characters later throughout the night because we have another Avatar episode that we are bringing to you. This one shot is going to take place in the Kyoshi era. It's going to tie in a little bit with the Kyoshi novels, which are pretty good if you haven't read them. But uh, shoot, I guess let's just go ahead and get into this adventure. I don't have anything to talk about. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Across the seas, the other nations don't really have a term for the Daofei. They would simply call them criminals, outlaws, and cut purses. But every child of the Earth Kingdom knows how the Daofei's fanaticism for their codes and rituals can turn these simple gangs into forces beyond even the power of the Earth King to quell. After the sudden unexpected death of Avatar Kuruk, the Daofei gangs became emboldened. Stories are still told of the ruthlessness of the Yellownecks, who killed every woman and child in their way. But still more recent stories are told of the final defeat of the Yellownecks at the hand of an immeasurable force of nature. The accounts are hazy and likely over-exaggerated, but those souls who survived the event tell of a terrible spirit with glowing eyes, drenched in blood and white ashes, who consumed the life-giving flames of its enemies. These stories were easy to dismiss as the ravings of lunatics, but the stories haven't stopped, and the facts are becoming clear. The Earth King couldn't stop the Daofei from spreading, but the Avatar could. Which is why, dear listeners, it's time for our players to get out of the Daofei while there's still time. In the lower ring of Ba Sing Se, we stumble upon three ragged travelers walking side by side down the streets of the Lung Kao city block, a small Daofei gang that calls itself the Desert Seedlings. The first of the three we'll examine is a grizzled yet muscly older gentleman. Ning, could you describe yourself and how you joined the Daofei? Yeah, I uh, joined the Desert Seedlings uh, not too long after my adult years began. I was running after something and... There was only supposed to be one job, but after one job was successful, a second one came our way, and then a third, and then a fourth, and as members have come and gone over the years, I've been sort of stuck here, but it's familiar. So, here I've been almost 20 years with the desert seedlings in the Daofei, and uh, I find myself with new recruits, new gang members, almost every single year now. Tough to keep the crew together. Absolutely. If you were to take a look at me as well, um, you'd see me despite my age being a little bit older than the other members of the Desert Seedlings. I usually sport a sleeveless tunic and uh, shorts that show off a lot of my musculature. Uh, my arms are pretty... Uh, they, they send a clear message when people see me. And on the side of my hip, you see a, a scabbard with two swords intertwined in there. And although my black hair is peppered with gray, particularly on the temples, uh, my furrowed brow shows that I mean business. Yes, so Ning, you are playing the Guardian playbook, and you are a weapons specialist. Yeah, that's right. All right. 
So you guys are walking along the streets of Lung Kao, and the reason you've returned to Lung Kao instead of just cutting and running immediately is because one of your own is still locked away down there. Uh, it's not an uncommon story. You're a pretty small gang down on your luck, and you only needed enough coin to fund your next couple jobs and then get back on your feet. So you approached the Triad of the Golden Wing, the largest gang in the Lower Ring, led by a man named Mock, who the rumors say was once the second in command of the Yellow Necks. He gave you the gold on the condition that you help him with a high-risk smuggling job, and it went off almost without a hitch, except that your comrade Lupo left behind a clue that could give away sensitive information about the Golden Wing's hideout. So as punishment, Lupo was taken by Mock's personal brute squad and placed behind bars, and you can't leave without him because he's one of your own. Uh, one who was a good friend to the second figure that we now turn to, a young girl with a scarred face. Uh, Mel, could you describe yourself and how you joined the Daofei? Um, my hair is, it's pretty short. I like it that way. You know, I can feel the breeze on my neck. Um, it's dark. Um, I have pretty bright green eyes. But yeah, I'm 15. Um, not very tall, just because I'm so young, but I'm, maybe I'll get there. My clothing is pretty loose. Like, I'm a waterbender, so I kind of like it to flow like the water does when I bend. But I got here because I was on a trip with my parents when I was about seven and we were attacked and my parents were gone and dead but they thought I was dead as well but luckily the desert seedlings found me on the verge of death and brought me back so in a sense they're really kind of the only family I've ever known I have glimpses of my life before but not a whole lot so they've really just kind of taken me in I guess I technically owe them my life but <laughs> It's a, it's a good old place to be. Yeah, and this is something that not many people outside the Daofei are aware of. They just see the Daofei as nothing but ruthless criminals, but they don't realize the circumstances that might lead someone to turning to that life. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of us that come from a really quite a variety of different backgrounds that you really wouldn't expect. And I mean, not all of us are super terrible people, like everyone makes us out to believe. I mean, yeah, we do some bad things sometimes, but... I mean, what else do you expect us to do? Yeah, and that is a great statement to show off the fact that you are playing the idealist playbook tonight. Oh, I am playing the idealist, yes. Absolutely, and as uh, as Mel is uh, sort of lost in thought, I kind of whispered her and go, Mel, keep your wits about you. We need to be on focus for this next part, okay? And I sort of like my arm, I sort of like grab her shoulder and like pull her in a little bit just for a really quick, tight hug and then go, that's all right, we'll get out of here soon. All of us. Okay. Yeah, at this point, you've reached the entrance to the Golden Wings hideout, and from above the surface, the Lunkau City block looks like any other block in Bossing Say, but it's extended far below the surface. Uh, each new layer is kind of haphazardly dug out beneath the others into just this maze of twists and turns and bottlenecks. And it took you a while to get used to the strange architecture down here, but you know the way that you're going. And so as you descend, you pass a bunch of rough and callous faces. Some of them are familiar, some aren't. But by oath, all of these people are your brothers and sisters, which is exactly why you can never come back once you leave. To break the Daofei code and return to the life of an abider is to place a target on yourself for the rest of the Daofei. So you're going to have to watch your backs for the rest of your lives, you know, unless some miracle leads you to a place the Daofei haven't touched yet. But as you weasel your way further underground, 
Uh, we'll finally examine the third figure, a moody, low 20-something-year-old with a dark demeanor about his face. Kanik, could you describe yourself and how you joined the Daofei? Yeah, so if you looked Kanik, you'd see a little goatee, just a little bit of hair on the chin with kind of a wispy mustache, um, sort of long brown hair about shoulder length. He's a waterbender from the Northern Tribe, but since leaving, he's sort of taken to earthbending uh, fashion. Um, so he's got kind of like a loose brown shirt that he's sort of cut into almost like a tank top, uh, and then kind of loose uh, tan pants. And uh, when I was back home, they just wanted me to like do all this training and learn so much about the old ways and the tradition of the water tribe. And I just didn't think that staying up on the ice land was going to be a great way to learn about the real world, you know? So I wanted to like get out and see things and go around to the different kingdoms and uh, get to know real people. But like, it was a little harder than I expected. And uh, so when I saw Mel, and saw another waterbender, I, I, I tried to, like, convince her to let me hang out with her for a little bit. And, you know, she led me back to Ning, and I decided that I wanted to sign up, you know? I mean, law enforcement is just, like, a system there to oppress you, you know? And so this didn't really seem like a big deal to me, and uh, I decided to sign up, but, you know, things have gotten a little crazy, so uh, I'm ready to bounce. Yeah, so you are playing the bold playbook. Indeed, yeah. But finally, the three of you, your journey has led you to the appointed place. Uh, this room you find yourselves in is far larger and more well-lit than any of the others you've passed through. And there is a large crowd of Daofei thugs milling around on the floor surrounding this raised circular platform. And stretched across it is a canvas spread taut. And there are two figures circling each other on top of the platform, waiting for the right moment to strike. This platform is the Leitai, where any and all grievances among the Daofei can be aired publicly through the use of fists, blades, and bending. The winner gets whatever they want from the loser, even if that means they lose everything. Now, as the two combatants finally clash in the center, you can see two areas of note in this room. First, just on the other side of the Leitai, on elevated chairs, you see sitting there is Mok's Brute Squad, the ones who took Lupo from you, a trio of thugs known as the Three Jings. And second, against the far wall, occupying one of a series of cages, is Lupo himself. Uh, he's sitting there morosely, uh, he's unmoved by the display of violence above him. And so if you want Lupo back, the official way to do it is by challenging the Jings to the Leitai, but you are criminals, and now that you've decided to leave the Daofei, whether you follow their code or not is up to you. So, now that you have reached your location, nobody's really paying attention to you. They're just shouting and cheering as they're, like, setting bets on who's going to win the battle. What would you all like to do? Uh, who's the head of the Three Jings or the Brute Squad? Let's have you assess a situation to see what kind of information you know about the Jings. All right. Assessing a situation. That's a seven. All right, so you get to ask one question. So, assessing a situation, who or what is the biggest threat? What should I be on the lookout for? What is my best way out in through? Who or what is in the greatest danger? And what here can I use to blank? Okay, so the one question I'm thinking about saying is, uh, what should I be on the lookout for, Ned? So, in regard to the three jings, 
You know that they are called the Jings because each of them focuses on one of the three Jings. Negative Jing, positive Jing, and neutral Jing. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of do you advance in combat, do you hold back, or do you just kind of wait? And so looking at the three Jings, you see these three individuals the one on the left is a kind of smaller male. Uh, he holds no weapons. He's dressed very simply. Uh, this is Xiaoji Jing. Next to him is Zhongli Jing, who is an earthbender, very large. He has big old muscles that betray his formidable earthbending ability. And then the final one is Jiji Jing, who is the only female of the group and her hair is up in the traditional top knot of the Fire Nation, and she's lounging about with a look of great superiority on her face. So what you should be on the lookout for is when these three are working together, because they all focus on the different Jings and have combined their fighting techniques as such, they're incredibly powerful as a unit. But if you can get them one-on-one -on -one and figure out which Jing they are using, you might be able to use that against them. Gotcha. So we don't know what Jings they are, positive, neutral, or negative. But if we can split them apart, that might be a good avenue forward. Yeah, that is what Ning knows about the three Jings, at least. Okay. Uh, Ning? Yeah. This place is a lot more crowded than I expected it to be. Yeah, me too. That's all right. We know the Lupo's safe over there. All we got to do is get him out. Now, we have a couple of options here. The uh, last resort being that we can actually challenge the Jinx. Whether we challenge them individually or all three of us together, I'm not sure. But assessing them, I have a feeling that if we can get the Jinx apart, if the fight breaks out, we might be able to pick them off one by one. But I'm hesitant because I know we're better together as well. And I turn to uh, Mel and go, what do you think about this whole thing? What can you see? Would that also be an assess the situation? Yeah, go ahead and roll to assess the situation and see how well you do. That is also a seven. Okay, so you can ask another one of these questions. Okay, so remind me again where exactly the three of them are in relation to our buddy. So you are standing near the entrance to this room. The cages are on the far wall, and between you and the far wall is the Leitai, and the Jings are just on the other side of the Leitai platform. Okay, um, I'm going to ask, what's my best way through to get to Lupo? Yeah, so there's a lot of people here, but they are very intently focused for the most part on what's happening on top of the Leitai. So nobody's really looking too closely at Lupo. There's a chance that you could get somebody to sneak around and free him while nobody's looking, but you'd need a pretty big distraction. Okay, what I'm noticing is there are a lot of people and they seem pretty focused up there. I mean, it's hard not and to. Net, it's, sorry, you're good. is it like a hundred people or? Yeah, there's a pretty large crowd, not quite a hundred, but you figure there's probably closer to a hundred than to 50 people in this room right now. All right. So what I'm thinking is we could, maybe we make a distraction somewhere far away from where Lupo is, and I'm small enough, I could just sneak over there and, and get him out. No one would really notice me. That's true. If you guys were able to cause a big enough distraction, I think maybe that could work. I was about to say that sounds risky, dude, but honestly, whatever we're going to do is going to be pretty dang risky, so. Yeah, and whatever we do, we have to greet on it together. Yeah. I think the distraction's the best way to go, and if that fails, well... Then we just start fighting. Ned, not to pile up on assessing a situation, but I have a question I'd like to ask, so may I roll one of those as well? You may. 
That's a 10. Ooh. All right, so you can ask two of these questions. Ooh, okay. Go, Evan. So the first one I wanted to ask was, what here can I use to start a fight? Mm, yeah, so the easiest way to start a fight in the Leitai room is to challenge somebody to a fight on top of the Leitai. Mm-hmm. But if you want to start a fight like out amongst the crowd, yeah, this is the interesting thing about the Leitai is it's very similar to how an Agni Kai is structured in the Fire Nation, where like because of the code of honor among the Dao Fei, there's kind of this expectation that if somebody has besmirched you, then you will take your anger out on them publicly. There's a possibility that, you know, if you just do a couple jabs here and there in the right place, you could raise tensions to the point where they might escalate down here on the floor. Okay. But if you do that, people are probably going to try and get you up there onto the platform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second question, and it says what's my, I'm not sure if I, it has to be myself or if it can be what's our, but what's my best way out? Your best way out. This is the interesting thing about Lung Kao is... It's built to be deliberately confusing. You know, in the event that the police do raid the place, they've put in a lot of rooms that could be used as traps. So like the police start moving past, you pop out, you grab them and you dispatch them. That's so cool. So it's deliberately been built to make it kind of hard to get from place to place unless you know where things are. So you've obviously got the main entrance here in the front, but a room this big, you know that there has to be some other way of getting out of this place. Hmm. And as you kind of peer around with your successful roll, you can see that, so along the back wall, you've got the cages in kind of the far left corner, and in the far right corner, you can see there are some tapestries up on the wall, some crates that look conspicuously to you, being a criminal, like they're probably concealing an exit of some kind. Okay. Ning, I have an idea. Yeah. So, like, what if we, you and I, start putting on a show, and we, like, really make a stink, and we're yelling at each other, and everyone's like, yo, what are these two up to? And then I publicly challenge you, and we get up there, and we start putting on a show. We put on the best fight these guys have seen in a long time. And if they get all hyped up and riled up enough, well then Mel can do her thing. It's risky. I feel like a lot of people know that we're part of the same gang already. Yeah, but we're little and we're not very well organized. What if, you know, something's gone wrong? Yeah, let's say like... Trouble in paradise. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that plan, actually. Yeah, I really like it as well. Um, I'd like to try something before we move forward with this plan as well. And... It's actually something that the Guardian can do. It's one of the moves that I took. Um, you said that... Oh, I just realized, I'm sorry, uh, audience, this is my first time playing this game. One of the moves I took is, here's the plan. When you work out a plan with someone, roll with creativity. Mm. And there's a list of things that I can hold for later. Um, so Great. Can, may I roll, Ned, since we just worked out a plan? You may, in fact, go ahead and roll with creativity. That's amazing. That is a nat 12. Whoa! Wow, yeah, so you (laughs) definitely get to choose two of these options. So I get to either aid someone and add a plus to one of their roles, or rally someone with invigorating words and they become inspired by my encouragement, or I can call out a warning or command, negate a condition or one fatigue they would otherwise mark. Ooh, Um, that's nice. I'm not, what is inspired? Yeah, during combat, you can impose statuses on either yourself or other people 
And when you are inspired, that means you're ready to stand for something and you can clear the inspired status to shift your balance towards a principle of your choice. Mm -hmm. Okay. And actually, now that I'm looking closer at the rules, I think you can choose in the moment which one you want. Oh. Yeah, at any point while you're carrying out the details of this plan, you have two hold that you can spend to do any one of these three things. Through the execution of the plan. That's good. That's good. That's awesome. So uh, I turn to Kanek and I go, all right, we're going to go with this plan. We need to have some sort of like, uh, how have I slighted you? We, we need to, what are you going to take from me if you win? What if I, what happens? And uh, Ned, do I know what happens to those that win and those that lose in the in the ring? Do they like get immediately banished or do they like get immediately like thrown into a cage themselves or? So yeah, basically here's how it works. You're up there, you're fighting. And when somebody goes down, the fight isn't over until the victor says it's over. Okay. And that does often end up in people death. just getting beaten to death on top of the Leitai. Oh my gosh. I need to read these books. <laughs> They're intense. <laughs> so, however it goes, we'll keep an eye out for Mel. And I turn to Mel and go, it'll be your job to go to Lupo and try to get him out of the cage using your water bending, picking the lock, whatever. Yeah. And we need to find a way out of this room other than the main entrance. Oh, dude. I think there might be something over behind those boxes. Excellent. Okay. Mel, you and Lupo will have to rely on you to either clearing those boxes because once the battle is over, me and Kanek are going to have to just sprint that direction and escape with you and hope that there's an escape because if not, we're fighting our way out of here through the front entrance. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather do the secret exit. Yeah. I'd rather not have to fight everyone at once. I agree. Um, Kanek, how we can kick this off... I'm going to go talk to the three Jinx right now. Give me about five minutes. I want to just get a read on them, a beat on them, just in case we do have to fight and just in case something does break out. But then come over to me as if you had just entered this room. And then we'll start making a ruckus here. And then we'll be like two platypus bears in a china shop. (laughs) And as, as we start swinging, the hope is that they're going to throw us out there and we can make that distraction to give Mel enough time to get Lupo. Yeah, dude, for sure. Ned, is there, I'm just realizing, is there any water around here? There's like a barrel at the side of the Leitai that occasionally like combatants will go over to it and they'll just splash it onto their faces to wipe the blood off. Some people are like, I don't even care if it's dirty. I'm thirsty. They'll take a drink from it. Just kind of this nasty barrel full of mucky water. Deal. All right. It's like the Old West. Gross. So gross. And as you guys are kind of finalizing your plan here, you hear cheering erupt from the crowd. And you can see up on top of the Leitai, one of them is now lying on the ground and the other is just punching repeatedly into this individual's face until finally he stands up. He's breathing heavy. He raises his fists up into the air and everybody cheers. And Ning, you feel somebody's elbow in your side in the (laughs) celebration. You look down and your heart kind of goes up into your throat as you see throat cutter gong down here (laughs) just kind of elbowing you in the ribs like, oh, that was a good fight, yeah? Yeah, uh, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, and throat cutter gong, he's the best assassin that the Golden Wings have. And you look down to his side and you can see that little coil of garrot wire looped up at his side, coated with little crystals of ground glass. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, if you excuse me for a minute, I've got to go talk to somebody about 
something personal right now. And I just walk away, <laughs> not being the most eloquent person. <laughs> yeah, and as he walks away, Kanak and Mel, Throatcutter Gong, turns towards you and he's like, we're going to see another fight tonight. And then he just kind of rubs his hands together and goes milling off into the crowd. Uh, in order to keep up the appearance like I've just entered the room, I might turn and kind of um, walk back out the entrance and sort of wait just outside the room. Cool. Um, and then I'm just going to kind of make my way closer to where the cell that Lupo's in, mm-hmm. kind of trying to make it seem like I'm just trying to get a better view, but yet keeping to the back. So it's not too suspicious. And that way, when the full thing breaks out, I'm close enough to where I can just immediately just turn and I'm there. Cool. I think that's simple enough that we don't need to require a roll. Yeah, cool. All right. So we've got Mel and we've got Kanak in position. Ning, you begin approaching the three Jings. Yeah, and my main focus here is to focus on uh, Gigi Jing. I'm going to use my move, Suspicious Mind, Mm -hmm. and try to just assess them for the time being and see if I can pick some stuff up before I go into this conversation. Yeah, go ahead and roll with Focus. That's a 12. Yes! Nice. So yeah, you get to hold two and ask two of those questions. Okay. Yeah, I just approach sort of briskly and sort of like gruff and go, Hey, Gigi. Hey, Gigi. Try to get her attention. (laughs) And she looks down towards you and notices you and then gets kind of a wry grin on her face. And she nudges Zhongli, who's sitting next to her, and points at you. And he looks down and starts barking in laughter like, Oh, it's the little puppy whose friend I stole the other day. How you doing, little puppy? Hey, why'd you take one of my men? Oh, well, you see, he left behind a bit of a clue at the heist. And if anybody finds this hideout because of what he's done, there's going to need to be some recompense, you know? Hey, my people are clear. We leave nothing behind. We leave no clues. If there was a clue left behind, it wasn't from us. And Gigi kind of leans down towards you patronizingly, and she says... Ah, uh, well, that is not for you to decide. That is for Mock to decide. Yeah? And where is he? Where is Mock? He is dealing with heavier matters than you would understand. What do you mean? What do you mean that it's it's Mock's decision? Mock is the leader of the Golden Wing. We only obey his commands. As I stand there, a little slack-jawed, my jaw just starts to clench, and my fists start to clench as well, and uh, my start to get white knuckles to say, Are you saying that you set the desert seedlings up to fall? Is that what I'm hearing you saying, Gigi? (laughs) And she sits back up straight, and her look turns from one of kind of playfulness to one of seriousness, and she says, We have all taken the oath of the Dao Fei. We do not set up our brethren. At this point, through my suspicious mind, I'm going to ask her, Is that true, Gigi? Would you really not set up one of your brothers? And she must answer truthfully or honestly. Yeah, so you're going with, are you telling the truth? Yeah. And so Gigi looks down at you, and she once again reiterates, we do not sit up our brethren. But you get the sense that, like, through her inflections during this conversation, the curve of her eyebrows, the twitch of the corner of her mouth, she is telling the truth that she didn't set them up, but she's not necessarily telling the truth that they were just following Mock's orders. All right, I'm going to immediately follow it up right now with, Gigi, what is this really about? What do you really want? This is something bigger. I can tell. Tell me what's going on. Tell me! 
and you're attracting a little bit of attention at this point. There are people looking at you yelling up at one of the three Jings, mm-hmm. and she kind of looks at the other's steely gaze, fire shooting out of her eyes, and they kind of give you a wide berth, and she waves you in close. I slowly lean in, my hands on the hilt of my swords. She leans down even closer to you, and she says in a quiet voice, We've gotten a tip-off that they might have found the location of our hideout. We do not want to cause panic, but there is a possibility that a raid might be coming here because of your little friend. Can I enter the room now and go, Yo, Ning! Immediately as like I'm slowly taking a deep breath in, and my head snaps towards Kanik and go, Not now, Kanik! I'm a little busy right now. Not now? You stole my gold to come here and bet on the fights, Kanik? And the room erupts and people like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, another fight, another fight. And everybody's starting to get really pumped up. Okay, I'm going to start slowly as this is happening, slowly being like, gonna go and unlock this thing. (laughs) All right, yeah. (laughs) But I don't say that out loud. That's in my head. (laughs) Just clarify. (laughs) So while you're heading off to do that, let's continue this uproar between Ning and Kanik. Mechanic, I need you to do what you do best and can it, all right? I need you to take a step back for a minute while I take care of what I'm in the middle of doing, okay? No, dude, that's not cool. That's not cool, man. We're we're supposed to be brothers, and you took my money, and you came down here to bet on the fights, and now you're going to be yelling at one of the Jinx? Like, come on, bro. Someone's got to put you in your place. How far away are you from me right now, Kanik? Uh, so I kind of imagined that as I came in and started this, as we were talking, I've been like slowly like walk talking towards you as I like yell, mm-hmm. kind of trying to like draw you out to the center of the room to get kind of all eyes on us. Yeah. So at this point, I actually ignore you for the time being. And I immediately turned it back to Gigi Jing. And in a whispered tone, I go, when is the raid happening? Well, do you know? The police of Ba Sing Se are slow. We don't think it would be anytime soon, but we must be on our guard. Thomas has a question. Lupo really did mess up then, from like the honest answers that she was giving, or am I, am I misreading that situation there from the clues that you gave me? It seems that Gigi is 100% in the belief that this place might get raided. Dang it. Dang it, dang it, dang it. And, uh, Kanik, I'm just ignoring you for the time being, really focused in this conversation with Gigi for the time being, just kind of, this new information just thrown me off for the time being. I'd like to throw a ball of water from the bucket at the back of Ning. Ooh, yeah, so, like, as you're moving forward, people are, like, opening up a path for you to get to him, and they're, like, patting you on the shoulders, hurrying you along in his direction, and you can see in the crowd, Throat Cutter Gong just like keeps up popping up in between people with a smirk <laughs> on his face. <laughs> he just keeps popping up as you're moving along. Uh, go ahead and rely on your skills and training since you're not like outright attacking him. Uh, so that's going to be an eight. So you succeed, but you do it imperfectly. I tell you what it costs you. So you grab the ball of water and you chuck it at the back of Ning's head And Ning, you hear the movement of the water, and like in the last moment, you draw both of those swords and pull them out, and you cut the ball of water from the air. It splatters across the audience, and silence falls. Oh, 
as you can see just heady anticipation in everybody's eyes. <sighs> Focusing back in on the plan, I go, you want to settle this, Kanik? Then let's settle it right now. And the crowd erupts in applause, and they start, like, grabbing you guys and pushing you up onto the Leitai. And from the other side, Zhao Jijing, the one who hasn't spoken yet, he gets up and he's going to be like kind of the moderator for this battle. And he steps in between the two of you and he says, Weapons, bending, fists, what is allowed? Well, I know Kanik here can't do anything with his silly little water bending, so I'll give that to him. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty cool that you think those two swords are going to be any match for a good bender. I guess you can keep them if you want. Kanik, I don't need any type of bending to take care of you. And I just start walking to the other side of the ring. Like, I'm in the fight, but we might get raided here. And uh, that's really <laughs> worrying me here. I'd like to uh, pull up just two balls of water from the bucket below and kind of have them start swirling around my hands and then freeze them into sort of these like spiked fists. All right. So you two get up there and you can hear from down in the crowd. People are starting to pass coin back and forth. People are setting bets on who's going to win. And there's definitely a big old hubbub going on at this moment. So, Mel, do you want to go and try and unlock the cage now, or do you want to wait until the fight has started? I'm going to kind of go stand by it, but still focused on the ring. And I definitely want to wait until the fighting begins to start anything. But I just kind of want to back up to the cage and say, Rupo, we're going to get you out, okay? Let's go get a little spicy in here, but I, I promise we'll get you out. Yeah, he looks up at you, and he uh, hadn't noticed you before. His eyes are kind of wide, and he goes, oh, If you can get me out of here, we should run away and never come back. I am more than okay with that. But yeah, just wait just a minute. All right, so nobody has noticed you back in that corner there, and a silence begins to fall as Kanik and Ning are beginning to circle each other on top of the Leitai. Ned, real quick, uh, as I have both of my broadswords out now, I didn't describe this um, mainly because I thought of it just now, um, but I'd like to have like a chain uh, connecting my two broadswords, like the hilts, uh, and that'd be a loose chain right now as I'm holding it in both of my hands, just as we're getting ready for an exchange, probably. Indeed. And Kanik, is there anything else that you are doing to prepare other than your knuckles gloves? I think I'll stick with those for right now, but I'm going to try. Um, you said it's an elevated platform, right? Yeah. Is there any like grates of metal or to get more water from the bucket would I have to go to the edge and like look out over the edge? You can see the surface of the water in the barrel from where you are. Okay, so I can keep getting more water if I need it. Okay, I'll just keep the gloves then. All right. So, who goes first is going to depend on who chooses which approach. But we're going to figure out what happens with that after a little break. Oh, good. I have to boy. go to the bathroom so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ned here. Thanks for joining us in this, our third Avatar Legends one-shot. Just as a reminder, we're going to be releasing two more of these one-shots through the remainder of 2021. We're doing our Roku episode in November and our Aang episode in December. And then, if the book release schedule goes according to plan, 
Hopefully in February, we'll be able to begin our first full-length Avatar campaign. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. We're really excited for this story and looking forward to getting you this content more regularly. But for the rest of this break, I want to talk about the role of improv in the system of Avatar Legends. Recently, we had one of our international listeners reach out to us through Instagram. Ellie, thanks for reaching out. It's been really cool talking with you. And we had a conversation that got me to thinking about where Avatar Legends fits in the scale of how much do you prepare beforehand and how much do you improvise. And improv is obviously a big part of what we do here at Improv Tabletop, but there's also a bit more preparation that goes into these Avatar episodes. So if we were to look at kind of a sliding scale, at one end of the scale you have pure improv, which a game like Fate is really good for. In fact, most of the campaigns that we do here on Improv Tabletop are completely improvised using Fate Accelerated, and it's really, really good for that kind of play. Then at the other end of the scale, you have a game that wants more preparation, like Dungeons & Dragons, which is what most of my home campaigns are. And it can be more difficult to improvise with Dungeons & Dragons, like I've done it before, but you have to think about, okay, how big is my party, what level are they, how powerful of a monster can I throw at them. So that game really benefits more from a story that's a bit more planned, a bit more thought out. And there are definite benefits to both of those approaches. I really love telling a good, rich, complex story, but I also love leaving the story open to see what my players can bring to it, because there are always things that they'll bring up that I could have never planned for that are going to be better than anything I could have planned. And for me, Avatar Legends and a lot of other Powered by the Apocalypse games fill a really good middle ground in between those two. So when I sit down to prepare an Avatar session, I use a technique very similar to a film writing technique called retroscripting. This is a technique that's been used in movies like What We Do in the Shadows by Taika Waititi, or TV shows like Home Movies by Brendan Small. And the basic idea is you know where you want the scene to begin, and you have a rough idea of maybe where you want the scene to end, but everything in the middle is not scripted, it's completely improvised. So using this episode as an example, when I prepared for it, I knew, all right, here's the starting situation, here's the Leitai room, here are the stats for the Jings, this is the problem that my players are going to have to solve, and how they solve it is completely up to them. And as you'll see later on in the episode, I had kind of an end in mind for where I wanted it to go, and it did end up moving in that direction, but there was a lot of unexpected stuff in the middle. I mean, of all of the ways that I thought they might try and solve the situation, honestly, having the players fight against each other was nowhere on my radar. They just did it, and it was amazing, and I loved it. So you can see that this system is really flexible. It allows for you to come up with good story beats, good compelling characters, and prepare all that stuff beforehand, but you don't have to worry about breaking your story if people do unexpected things in between, and in fact, I think that enriches the story quite a bit. So hopefully this is giving you an idea of how you might want to approach this game, and I hope you give it a shot, and I hope that you enjoy this game as much as we've been enjoying it. But we do have a fight to get back into, so let's see what's going on on top of the Leitai between Ning and Kanik. So, getting back into this very high-intensity moment here, we've got Ning and Kanik up on top of the Leitai platform, circling around, waiting to see who's going to throw the first jab. We've got Mel at the back uh, alongside the cages where Lupo is, and everybody's ready for you guys to start coming out swinging. So, the way that we're going to figure out who makes the first attack is by which approach you guys decide you want to go with. All right, 
um, Ning, he's got his two swords out, his two broadswords with a massive chain. And uh, as he's getting ready, he's just letting the chain out even more and more until it's quite long. It's a pretty long chain that he's had wrapped up uh, amongst his scabbard. And so I'm actually going to be taking the defend and maneuver approach. All right. Ooh, I was going to do the same thing, but... You do you, boo. You know what? Yeah, I'll defend and maneuver. All right. So both of you roll with focus. Thankfully, I have a ton of focus as the guardian, thanks to my furrowed brow move that I took at the very beginning. (laughs) Uh, So I get an eight. I also got an eight. Whoa. All right. So each of you may choose one defended maneuver technique. I'm going to take the ready action. So I'm going to mark one fatigue to ready myself or my environment. So let me go and take that fatigue here. All right. So as you're readying yourself, what status are you going to inflict on either yourself or Kanik? And what is that going to look like? Um, Since this is all just a ruse to help Mel get to our friend Lupa over there, I'm actually going to inflict a status upon myself. I'm going to do prepared. So I've got my broadswords out. I've got the chain completely unwound, and it's draped across the ground, actually, between my two broadswords as I'm holding them. And I prepare myself, and I raise my right hand over my head while my left, I I hold in a defensive position in front of me, and I'm just breathing and go, (sighs) okay. I take the prepared status upon myself. All right. Now, Kanik, which of these techniques are you going to go with? I'd like to seize a position. I'd like to kind of, uh, if I could, sort of run towards him. And uh, I don't know the exact name for it. I'm not I'm not well versed on martial arts, but I kind of want to jump over him when you like swing your feet out, kind of like you're doing sort of a side flip sort of deal uh, and kind of like jump over him and land behind him to put myself in a more advantageous position. All right. So as you're moving to jump over him, Ning, if you would like to, you can mark one fatigue to block his technique, or you can let him go ahead and get into it. Yeah, so I'm going to let him take this. One, because it's part of the ruse. Two, because I'm distracted, and I want to put up on a good show, because I feel like the, the bigger the show that we can put on, the more opportunity that Mel has to get Lupo out of here. So I'm going to I'm gonna allow this to happen, but I'm going to like overdramatize. Like, maybe I try to go for him, but I see what he's doing, and I overemphasize him getting by me, and try to get the crowd to um, really lean into that and draw just a ton of attention towards us on the floor here. Very nice. Yeah, you give this big old jump. There's the fainting sword swing and everybody in the audience is like, okay, the first swing has been swung. This is where it's getting real. And they're starting to get more riled up. They're starting to pay much more attention to you guys. And so now that we've completed this first exchange, both of our combatants have gone. Let's go over to Mel and see what's going on there. Poopo, I think they're distracted enough. Did they hurt you? Are, are you okay to move fast? Uh, I haven't eaten very much, but I can. I still got legs on me. I can still run. That's okay. Let me see if I have something in my pockets. And I go and check my pockets and see if I have any, like, candy bars or, like, a cabbage or something like that I picked up off the ground. <laughs> the, the two things that everybody has to restore energy to themselves. <laughs> yeah, but honest, McKenna probably has candy with her at all times. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, you, you got like a power bar or something in your in your little satchel. Okay, eat this. I'm going to try and see if I can get the lock picked. Or, well, what I'd like to do is get the water and freeze it to try and break the lock. Mm-hmm. So like I want to use specifically the water that Kanik had splashed at Ning. And so it kind of splashed on the ground around them. So that way it's not coming from, because 
The other option is the barrels up there, and that would be too distracting. So the water that's already on the ground kind of slither it along the ground over to me, and then freeze it to try and get that lock. All right. Roll to rely on your skills and training. Oh, no. I rolled a two and a one. <laughs> My focus is a minus one, so that's that's a two. All right, so you start moving the water along the ground, and it's pretty close to where the jings are sitting, and you can see that Zhongli, the big earthbender in the middle, he notices the water moving, and he kind of furrows his brow, and you catch it just in time to stop bending it before he can get a chance to see who's doing it but you have unfortunately not been able to get that water to bring it over to the lock. Dang it. Okay, let's see, what else? Is there anything around me like that could be used? Can I, ooh, can I assess a situation? Sure, yeah, you know what? Let's have you do that during the next one. We'll get back to our combatants for a little bit. Is there anything that you guys want to do before you enter into your next exchange? No, I'm just ready and just yelling out to Kenick. Well, if you held onto your gold, then it wouldn't have found its way into my fingers, Kenick. I would like to, under my breath, sort of ventriloquist style, go uh, duck and weave, duck and weave. All right. So would either of you like to defend and maneuver for your next exchange? Oh, duck and weave, duck and weave. I will. I will defend and maneuver for sure. I am going to advance and attack. All right. So we'll start with defend and maneuver. Ning, roll with focus. Oh, that's a 15. Wow. <laughs> wow that's as good as it gets. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, you get to choose two of these techniques. Well, I'm going to retaliate uh, with him saying duck and weave. You know, I'm going to steal myself. Uh, I'm going to get the sword in my right hand and just uh, let it hang by the chain and just start twirling it like a windmill, just just in my right hand and just get it faster and faster and faster, getting ready as I'm like moving uh, sideways and sort of like in this circle that we're doing and uh, just getting ready. And then I'm going to also seize a position as well. Can I do that after he does advance an attack or do I have to do that right now? Uh, you would have to do that one now. Oh man. Uh, okay, then I'm just going to ready myself again to take a different status as well. So I'm going to take another fatigue there. All right. And which status would you like to take? For this one, I'm going to take empowered. So my abilities are naturally stronger in this moment, and I clear one fatigue at the end of each exchange. That's actually like a really good one. <laughs> yeah, that's way good. I, I just noticed that. I was like, oh, why didn't I take that the first time? Um, so that's, those are the two that I'm going to take. I'm just getting ready uh, with my broadsword just getting faster and faster and faster. All right. And that's going to bring us to advance and attack with Kanik. Go ahead and roll with passion. I've been playing this game for all of an hour, and I've already broken the rules so that I'm trying to roll low. <laughs> and I got snake eyes. <gasps> Shut <laughs> up. Snake eyes minus one. So we rolled a 15 and a one, which is exactly what I wanted. I wanted him to defend so well while I attacked like crap. That's amazing. All right. So sounds like Kanik is kind of intentionally throwing this advance and attack. Yeah. My idea, uh, if I can still kind of like do something, is I want to start launching the spikes from my spiked fists at him. But like benders to a certain extent can control the speed of their projectiles, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. So trying to keep it fast enough that the audience doesn't really see much, but slow enough that he'll have time to like knock him with his sword, dodge him. That's kind of why I said duck and weave. So uh, however he wants to flavor dodging these, but I just kind of want to start launching off these icicles at him. 
Alright, so you go and you start doing that, and some of them do go for him, but some of them start going, like, out into the crowd, <gasps> and you hear other Daofei from down below getting, like, smacked in the face with chunks of ice, and they're, like, dodging out of the way, and you hear somebody yell, Hey, careful, you're fighting him, not us! <laughs> and as I'm defending uh, the ones that are coming my way, I'm uh, as my blades are going, uh, have gained speed, I'm, I'm using them to chop the ice, like, as, right before it comes in front of me, almost like... Uh, as, as a shield, like, as my blade is now a, a pinwheel in front and just very fluidly just, you know, smashing them as they're coming my way and uh, just just getting ready for the next exchange. Worried that we're gonna lose the crowd now that things aren't as uh, intense or as spicy as I thought they'd get uh, as we get into this moment. I went too poorly. <laughs> Possible. Alright, so we're at the end of the exchange, which means that Ning, you get to clear one fatigue. Woo! And we'll go back to Mel, who is assessing a situation at the moment. Guys, I'm terrible. I rolled a six, and I get to add nothing. Oh. Yeah, you're like looking around trying to figure out what you can use that's immediately close to you. And one of the chunks of ice we see in like slow motion, it goes flying towards Ning. He blocks it out of the way with the windmilling sword. And it goes flying straight towards Mel as she's looking around trying to see what's going on. It just smacks you in the back of the head. Oof. Oh my gosh, that's so rude. Okay. Oh, okay. First off, I reach my hand back, rub my head because that really hurt go to turn and scream and join in kind of on the, hey, don't hit us. But then I remember, oh, wait, this is ice. Ice is water. I can use that. Indeed you can. Yay! What a generous game master. <laughs> oh, thank you. And we'll see what happens with that after the next exchange. Ning and Kanik, would you like to do anything else before you start throwing fists? Uh, just flavorly, I'd like to start rushing towards Kanik, uh, even though it's not going to change our status necessarily. Uh, is this platform like held up with chains? Is it built up with like a base below it? Like, could you stand directly underneath it? I guess, how is it suspended above the air? Yeah, it is a wooden platform that has been built up. The top of it is flat wood with canvas stretched and wrapped across it. There is like a lattice work beneath it. It's not just like solid wood down there. It's braces and struts and props, but there's lots of space in between. Okay. So we got Ning rushing. Looks like we're going to get back into the exchange. Would either of you like to defend and maneuver? All right, advance and attack. Me. And I think I'm gonna evade and observe. Very good. So we're going to go with Ning, roll with passion. Okay, that's an eight. All right, you get to choose one. I am going to pressure. Um, nope, actually, I'm just going to strike. I'm going for this. I'm striking. I feel like we're losing uh, the crowd. I feel like we, we've got to bring them back in, and I think blood's the only way that we can do that. Mm. Plus, Kanik might have been the least favorite of the crew for me, but... <laughs> Ouch! So do you want to let Kanik choose what happens, or do you want to choose? Yeah, I will let Kanik... Nope, changing it again. Look at me, so indecisive. Um, I'm going to mark one fatigue to instead choose to hammer them with your blows, forcing them to mark two fatigue or strike them where they're weak, inflicting condition. I'm going to lose a fatigue of my own, and I'm going to force Kanik to mark two fatigue. And how I'm going to do that is I, I just, 
uh, these broadswords, they're just on these chains, and I've already got the speed, and so as I'm running, I just toss the blade directly to Kanek, and as he's defending, I'm, I'm trying to uh, use the momentum of back and forth, throwing the blade, bringing it back, twisting my body in the air to provide more momentum to go right back towards him, to where he's just being bombarded by one blade or another, or the chain, to where however he's defending, he's just getting hammered by my weapons or and this attack. Yeah, and Kanik, you weren't necessarily expecting that ferocity, per se, from this guy who is supposedly on your team. It's aggressive. <laughs> and so, like, trying to duck and weave and dodge out of the way to actually not take any damage from this guy is pretty wearying. But that brings us now to you, evading and observing. So clear one fatigue and roll with creativity or harmony. That's going to be ten. All right, you can choose two. Uh, first off, I'd like to see, I'm, so it just says a nearby character, so you can tell me if this is fair, Ned. I'd like to try and, uh, bolster or hinder, and on one of these hits, I want to almost sell it a little bit and kind of jump back even a little more than maybe the hit did to me, and I want to throw my arms back and melt one of the fists and try and, like, throw the water back towards Mel to give her some more water to work with. And with that, it says to give her a status, so I'd like to give her prepared, since she's more ready now with more water, which would give her a plus two on a roll. Perfect, I love it. (laughs) So I'm gonna throw that water her way, and then uh, I'm going to um, just commit, which I'm gonna kind of stand there, and uh, the bold playbook is torn between loyalty and confidence and seeing my own teammate who I kind of looked up to kind of coming at me like this, I kind of resolved that I need to be a a little more uh, self-sustaining and I'm gonna shift away from loyalty one more towards my own confidence. All right, and so the next time you live up to your principle with confidence, you don't have to mark fatigue to do it. Perfect, that'll be my turn. All right, so the crowd is screaming at this point, seeing the blades moving back and forth Ning, you're using your torso almost like the block and tackle of a pulley system as the chain goes sliding around you. One sword goes out, and then you throw the next, and its momentum brings the other back to you. Just this constant back-and-forth pulleying motion. And everybody's seeing Kanik, like, leaning back, Matrix dodging his way out of these, not even wondering where he threw the water to, just noticing that the water is gone. Everybody's like, okay, this guy's a goner. There's no way that he can keep going in this fight. But where that water went to, over in Mel, what would you like to do? I want to use the water, try and get it to break that lock, freeze it and break that lock. All right. So once again, roll to rely on your skills and training and you have that prepared status, which you can clear to get a plus two if you want. Come on, Mel. Come on, Mel. Oh, we got a three and a four for a seven plus two is nine minus one or eight, which you know what? I'll take it. All right. So yeah, on a partial success, you do it imperfectly. And I tell you how your approach might lead to unexpected consequences. Oh, no. But that plus two made it a partial success, so. That's true. Cha-ching. Cha-ching, indeed. That is teamwork. So you put the water into the lock and you begin expanding it. And the way that the ice expands in there as it starts to push the shackle out from the main body of the lock, as it finally breaks out, there's a much louder kind of metallic pinging noise than you were expecting. And it seems that a bit of attention might be drawn your way. You look up at the three jings. You're like, oh, snap, I just made noise. 
and you look to see if anybody's looking your way, and you can see that Gigi and Zhongli are still kind of very enraptured in what's going on atop the platform. But Zhao Ji, the final Jing, his ears perk up and he kind of looks behind him at that moment in your direction. Oh no! What do I do? Okay. Um, uh... Ned, can we see this at all in the battle? I know it's pretty intense, but... Yeah, since we're at the end of the exchange, you guys don't have to use combat maneuvers at this point. You can use regular moves if you would like to as well. Did you have something? Because I think I got something if you don't. Well, no, if, if you got something, go for it. Okay, it's probably not great, but <laughs> let's try it. I probably have like some like small type of dagger thing, and I'll just like... I have pretty flowy clothing, so I'll just kind of hold it in my hand, hoping he can't see, and then just, like, bend down and, like, pretend, oh, I dropped my dagger. Oops, my bad. Like, silly me, so clumsy. (laughs) And then just kind of be like, whoop, show him, and then put it away and see if he falls for it. Can I, I think this would count as helping. Can I help her and give her a plus one by, at that moment, kind of jumping up off the ground? and like yelling at Ning and trying to like draw attention back to the fight and just jumping up and being like, come on, man, you're really going to steal my money and then come in here gambling it away and then you're going to come in here and do me like that and like throw a fake punch or something to just try and like maybe draw attention from the Jings back on us. Yeah, I like it. Me too. That's going to give you a plus one to your roll. I'm going to say instead of rolling to trick an NPC, I'm going to have you roll to push your luck in this risky situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, good, because that's my plus two. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I dropped it. I'll reroll <laughs> the other one. Okay, so it was a one and a five. So six plus, oh, eight. With the plus one from Kanik, that brings it up to a nine. <gasps> So that's still a partial success. There is still the possibility, Ning, if you can think of a way to help, we could push it up to a full success. Um, I'm going to help out by yelling in response to Kanek and be like, you think that any of this matters? You think that your money is going to save you from the authorities? You think that the bossing say police are going to care that I stole your money? And I'm going to point to the Jings and say, why don't you tell everybody the truth here? trying to draw the attention away from them and just trying to draw the entire crowd to the fight. Wow. Okay, yeah. That brings you up to a full success on pushing your luck. Your boldness pays off despite the cost. I tell you what other lucky opportunity falls in your lap. So the entire crowd goes silent and they look towards the Jings at the mention of the bossing, say, police, and everybody kind of falls silent and they, like, get down a little bit, crouching down to try and get ready for action, except for one person, Throat Cutter Gong, is still standing straight up <laughs> with a look of just confusion on his face. <laughs> I love this guy. Me too. <laughs> and the Jings are all looking back and forth at each other. Gigi is absolutely furious with you right now. They're, like, kind of stumbling over their words, trying to figure out what to say. But then at that point, you hear from the hallway outside that main door, a voice coming in. It starts out off in the distance, but it starts getting closer. And it's like, we've been here. Everybody to your stations. We're being raided. And you see somebody come rushing into the room there. 
and the Jings are like, okay, wait, what on earth is going on? And Gigi stands up and looks at the man, and she says, that is impossible. There's no way that the police could have mobilized so quickly. And the man, he's just panting out of breath, and he's like, it's not the police. It's, it's a spirit. It has to be a spirit that can move through walls and walk over the floorboards without making a noise. We don't know what it is. We have to get out of here as quickly as we can. And everybody at this point, they're just like, Oh, goodness. And they start rushing up. They're grabbing, like, weapons from around the corners of the room. They're starting to head out the door, trying to get into whatever sort of defensive positions they can. Immediately, I turn to Kanek and go, Kanek, smokescreen, now! I do a smokescreen. Yeah, let's have you roll to push your luck. I rolled a nine, but I have a minus one, so that's an eight. All right, so you do it, but it costs you to scrape by. I tell you what it costs you. So you are watching everybody getting up and getting going, and you notice, like, Throat Cutter Gong especially, he's got his garrote wire, and he's unwound it, and he pulls it taut, and you can see a couple slivers of glass go flying off of it, and he goes rushing out into the hallway, and very few people are paying attention to you right now, except for the jeans. You've kind of given them up in this moment. So you go and you throw up the smoke screen, but before you manage to do that, like, okay, you pull up some water out of the barrel there and you evaporate it. And as you turn around and get ready to run, you can see right up next to you within the smoke screen is Gigi and she is going to get a quick strike in on you. She brings her hands in from both sides and claps them together right in front of your face, and there's this concussive blast as the heat just sears past you. You can feel your eyebrows singeing a little bit, and it knocks you backwards off of the lay tie, and you're going to take two fatigue from that, but you are off the platform. You're still within the smoke screen, and everybody else, you are covered now by all the steam as well. We saw the, the fire erupt over where Kanik is, right? Yeah, you saw the bright sort of golden red flash in the mist, and you heard the sound of Kanik's body just tumbling off onto the floor. But uh, as Gigi sounds like she's starting to get ready to follow after, you hear Zhongli saying, JJ, leave him be. We need to protect this place. We'll take care of them later and you hear their footsteps start rushing out the front entrance as well, uh, leaving you guys by yourselves in this room. Yeah, I'm gonna open the gate, and I'm gonna get Lupo out, and I'm gonna run over to where Kanik is with him, and just like, Kanik, Kanik, are you okay? Are you, Kanik, get up, get up, get up, come on, and just kind of slapping his face around a little yeah. bit. And I'm, I'm already with Kanik helping him out and going like, all right, come on, come on, Kanik, we gotta go, we gotta go. Um, and I'm just gonna look up, uh, where's Lupo? He's right here. And I hold up his hand and I'm holding it really, really tight. So his hand is like very, very ghostly white right now because of how tight I'm holding onto it. Yeah. And he's just barely holding onto like the last crumbs of that protein bar that you handed him. <laughs> so do we still go out the way we were going to or do we try a different way since everybody's kind of scattered anyways? No, we have to. If there's that spirit that's coming here, we got to find the only way out that it's unexpected. Quick, get to the sparrows now. All right, yeah. That's you, us running. <laughs> yeah, you rush over to the barrels, you start tossing them out of the way, 
tear down the blanket, and sure enough, there is a fairly rough-hewn tunnel. Not very tall, not very wide, but you can get through it by crouching. You don't have to, like, crawl on your hands and knees or anything. And as you start moving down the tunnel, you can hear from ahead of you and from behind you sounds ringing in from both directions, people shouting, people just in an uproar and panic. And eventually you manage to make it to the far end and you pull yourselves out and you're in a pretty small alcove. You know, this being a secret entrance, uh, it's been kind of concealed from the other side. And you can see that there's kind of a fine gauze scrim that's covering the entrance to where you are at the other end of this tunnel, this little sort of cavern that you're in. And as you are kind of getting ready to head out, you hear a noise from the far end of the hallway. Like you peer out through that covering that is keeping you hidden from the outside. And it's a hallway that leads up the steps and there's a couple doors on either side and you hear a noise from up at the top, like a squealing noise of pain. And it is pretty abruptly silenced and you see something starting to come down and it is an incredibly tall figure. Mm. I immediately grab everybody to stop them from moving through the scrim as they're coming towards us. Yeah, and it's moving down. It's large, very large. You can see even though it's moving and it is so massive, there's no sound coming from its feet. And billowing around the feet is a large green silk gown. And moving up, there is a fine metallic breastplate. And going up even further, you finally see the face, a white mask with burning red streaks for eyes, a golden headdress atop it. And you can see at the neck is a line of crimson as if the spirit's head has been removed and glued back together. And you can see in the hands of this spirit moving towards you is throat cutter gong. His garrote wire is wrapped around his legs. Both of his wrists are bent the wrong way back. And the spirit comes down and stops at the doorway on the side of the hall, pauses for a moment, and tosses throat cutter gong into that room. And you hear a big commotion from inside as there are two other Daofei in there who are suddenly just intruded upon by this creature. And you hear a voice say, wait, stop, Brother Gong, what happened? And you saw that the spirit was waiting for a moment of distraction. And as it hears that voice, you see it just reach through the wall and pull somebody through it. <gasps> you see it's Brother Poe, one of the Daofei who you met a while back takes Brother Poe and just tosses him through the other doorway on the other side of the hall. And without a word, he just disappears into the darkness. And then you see the spirit turn and begin walking through the doorway. And you hear another voice on the other side, a very young voice. You can hear the teeth chattering and like the bones rattling as this young boy is like confronted by this horrible creature. And you hear the voice just saying out, the avatar protect me, Yang Chen protect me. And you hear the sound of him stumbling and hitting the wall. And you hear a voice respond. It's deep and sonorous. And it would almost be beautiful and musical if it wasn't full of just like impassiveness for this boy's life. And you hear the voice say, Yang Chen isn't here right now. I am. Now tell me where I can find your boss and you hear him mumbling something about the bottom floor, and you hear one final kind of shriek of fear, and the spirit comes walking back out that door, and it pauses as it reaches the hallway, 
looks off in both directions, begins moving towards you. And as you're all holding your breath, trying not to be discovered by this creature, it turns down the hallway right before it reaches you. And you can barely see into this chamber that it's just walked into, completely ransacked. There's crates and barrels that have been like tossed over, stuff all over the floor. And you see the spirit gather a bunch of rubble together into a little disc on the floor, stands atop it, pauses for a moment as it like has noticed something in the rubble off to the side. But then it shakes its head, snaps itself out of its little trance there, stomps its foot down on the disc, and shoots straight down through the floor. And you hear these crashing noises every so often. This thing is just digging its way through the entire complex on this disc. And after a while, the crashing noises disappear as it gets further and further down until it's just silence. I immediately shove Lupo and everybody out into the hallway and I go, don't think about what we just saw. Get out of here. Get out of here now. I'd like to grab Lupo's hand and just run. Run as fast as my little hippie legs can take me. (laughs) I don't think any of us stop running Uh -uh. for that entire day. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, you rush out as you're going through the upper floors of Lung Kao. You can just hear groans of pain as you're passing by the various choke points and hiding places. And you don't even stop to see who's there. You burst out into the sun and you're like, okay, did we go left? Do we go right? And you look off to the right and you can see a couple of soldiers beginning to turn the corner and move towards you. You're like, nope, left, 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 left. (laughs) And you start rushing off down the street and you go as far as you can. You don't know what happens as you leave it all behind you, but at least there's something better ahead of you. And that is where we're going to conclude today's adventures in the world of Avatar Legends. I know it almost at this point probably sounds like we're like sponsored by them or something, but that was, this is my first session and that was a blast. Like that was so fun. (laughs) It's a lot of fun, this system. Yeah, this system's awesome. It just, it's so, uh, it's so much more like so many times in other systems, I have an idea of something I want to do and something in the rules either makes me alter or hold back a little bit. Uh, and this system just seems to really encourage you to go buck wild in the world of Avatar, and it makes it happen for you. Go be creative. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of us would mind if we were sponsored by... Uh, <laughs> not, not something to be upset by, for sure. Not a sponsor, but we wish it was. Magpie Games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, heck, Viacom CBS, if you are listening to this episode and you like what we're doing, we would love to become part of the official Avatar canon. <laughs> We got our Instagram. Oh, I'm in love with Kyoshi. Oh my, she's so beautiful. Ned, you had me in almost tears. Holy cow, that was so cool. I've never read the Kyoshi novels. I didn't know she was so terrifying. She's so scary. Yeah, I mean, I think that might be our cue to move into a round of plugs. Oh, wait, no, I have to do the rest of the outro read before we get into the plugs. (laughs) But I, I got a plug for us. So, you know, thanks everybody for listening to Improv Tabletop. We'll be back next week with another one of our regular improvised campaigns. Uh, If you want more, go ahead and subscribe, maybe even give us a review. We would be as happy as an imprisoned man who got his first protein bar in months. If you go ahead and give us a positive review on the podcatcher of your choice. 
We're also on social media with the handle at Improv Tabletop. We take suggestions for our improvised campaigns, so if you'd like to suggest a setting for us to play in or an aspect for one of our characters to use, you can tweet about us or comment on one of our posts elsewhere using hashtag ImpTab setting or hashtag ImpTab aspect. Now, plugs. I am very strongly going to plug the novels The Rise of Kiyoshi and The Shadow of Kiyoshi by F.C. Yee. These are officially part of the canon of the Avatar universe. They were written in collaboration with some of the original creators of Avatar. And you probably got the sense that the Kyoshi era is a bit more gritty than the cartoons or the comic books. If you've ever wondered where all the killing is in the Avatar universe, it's in these books. <laughs> and if any of you have read these books previously, then you might have recognized some of the characters. If you have not read the books, consider this an exact prequel to to chapter two of the second book. Well, now I have to go get them. Wait, you had all of us do a prequel and none of us knew it? Surprise! <laughs> wow. Yeah, you go back and you read that book and I I definitely did lift some of the descriptions exactly from FCE's work because I want I want these to fit into the canon as much as possible because it's a really cool world. No, that's awesome. That's amazing. But yeah, go check out those books. Uh, they're pretty great. I definitely recommend them. Let's see, McKenna, you got anything that you would like to plug? I do. I would like to plug coming up for this Christmas season as it is getting closer. My tree will be going up November 1st. You guys can put your tree up whenever. Let people do what they want to do. But I just wanted to say, hey, when it comes to buying your Christmas gifts this year, may I just suggest go to some small businesses, get on that Etsy shop. I'm planning on doing some from Caleb's wife's shop, Rachel, her soap shop, and I was going to look at Heather's shop as well. Sorry to steal your plug, Thomas. <laughs> but yeah, just shop at small businesses. Give them some recognition. There's a lot of amazing ones out there. This year, it also might actually be easier. There's weird supply chain issues and uh, Walmart may have some empty shelves next month, so. So yeah, go shop small businesses. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, oh my gosh. And happy Halloween, that too. <laughs> uh, I know that Evan has some pretty strong feelings about Christmas before Thanksgiving, but I'm just gonna say celebrate your holidays as you please. We love you anyways, Evan, so. Yeah, you got anything that you wanna plug? Yeah, I'll, I was gonna speak my piece. No, no, I'm fine, I just. I'm less about no Christmas before Thanksgiving, and I just don't want you to forget Thanksgiving. Sometimes I feel it gets a little little washed over, a little overlooked. Uh, and I know some people like to not celebrate Thanksgiving because it's got some, you know, associations with moments of history or whatever. But just look at it. It's your day to remember to stop and be thankful. Just don't forget Thanksgiving. That's all. Uh, the next thing I want to plug is French dip sandwiches. Because <laughs> I had one today. My wife and I went to a sourdough bakery that made homemade sourdough bread. And I got a French dip sandwich. And I remembered how good they are. And if anyone out there is like, ew, soggy bread, I would encourage you to uh, open your mind. Go find a really good local bakery or even make it yourself if you're uh, in the kitchen. And try some French dip sandwiches. Because I'm convinced every meal for the rest of my life should come with a hot bowl of au jus. But you know what? Heck, maybe even make yourself some French dip sandwiches on Thanksgiving. Ooh. Yeah, that's the real plug. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to plug non-traditional Thanksgiving foods on Thanksgiving. Ooh, like a good salmon? Pick up salt, fat, acid, heat by Samin Nosrat and make like anything in there. Your family will love it. 
so so many plugs. Speaking of, Thomas, do you have anything that you want to add to this plug pile? Well, I don't know what else I can add to such a wonderful plug segment already. But if you've listened to me before, if you've listened to me on other stuff, you know that we've got a sister podcast, I Cast Fireball, where I'm the dungeon master for a 5e D&D campaign of the uh, campaign Tyranny of Dragons. It's a lot of fun. Ned's a player on there. He's a kobold. He's adorable. I recommend you go give us a listen. Uh, maybe even leave us a review as well. Love to hear some people and some more cross-pollinating between iCast Fireball and t- Improv Tabletop. Right on. Well, once again, thanks everybody for joining us here in the world of Avatar Legends. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host and GM, and today I've been joined by... McKenna Steele, Santa in disguise. Thomas Brower, the old fogey. And uh, Evan Peterson, don't forget to carve a turkey. Much love and stuff. We'll catch you next week on Improv Tabletop. Thank you.